Well, it is truly good to see all of you here this morning, and I, I want to say a special welcome to all of our college students. I tell you what, new, there you go. New Vision is a better place, a healthier church when you guys are here, and you just play a huge role in that. And I, and I can just imagine as a, as a college student, uh, this is just a difficult time. Probably many of your classes are just online. I understand all that. And you know, you could probably be in a lot of different places uh, around the country in school. I, I could promise you this. I don't think you could be in a place where there's a college pastor in Dakota and Delaney who love you guys any more than they do and will serve you any better than they will. So we're so proud of them. I was, uh, you guys had a little uh, karaoke on Friday just down below my office. I was listening to that a little bit. I was waiting for a George Strait number to come, and then I was heading down. Because if you had oceanfront property, I would have killed that. But I was, uh, I was afraid I'd take home all the prizes. So anyways... We're glad you, glad you guys are here and looking forward to this semester. You know, this is a defining time in your life, and we're glad we get a chance to walk with you uh, through that. You know, today we're going to uh, continue with the story of uh, Exodus, and Exodus is not just about God calling the children of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. It is about that, but it's really about our own exit strategy, how God wants to, to free us and, and call us out of areas of our life into greater intimacy with Him, and we're going to we're going to deal with a really important issue today that's there in the text in Exodus chapter 2. And we're going, to, we're going to deal with anger because here's what I believe about the day we live in. For the last six months, being in the midst of this pandemic, we have seen anger, whether it's political uh, anger that's sort of been amped up, whether it's just race relations that have been amped up, the coronavirus, people are mad if you wear a mask, people are mad if you don't uh, wear a mask. I've had people say things about me that have never been said about me in the past, and, and I understand that. We've just been cooped up, we've been a little scared, and it's been a frustrating time, and so it's just been an, it's just been an angry time. We've just been a part of just a, just a lot, a lot of anger, so we're going to see that today. And here's what I want to say from this message. I, I want you to understand this. Anger is a million-dollar emotion. Can I say that to you again? Anger is a million-dollar emotion. And as we think about anger, anger will make you or it'll break you. And we're going to take a look at what God's Word has to say about that. So let's look. Exodus chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 11. And I, I just always make this kind of shameless plug uh, if you haven't really clicked on and started through our Exodus podcast, you can go back and catch up. We're going verse by verse through Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus uh, from now until Christmas time. And so uh, we won't cover everything in our sermons on Sunday morning, but everything will be covered in the podcast. So you can get a master's degree in Exodus. I mean, I don't know if that you could put that on your transcript or anything, but you, know, you get a master's degree in Exodus here at New Vision this fall. Let's take a look, starting in verse 11 of Exodus chapter 2. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, now that's interesting, Exodus chapter 2, we just covered 40 years in just a blink of an eye. I feel like that's what my life has, has been like. When we left Moses in chapter 1 of Exodus, he was a baby and he was uh, in the Nile River. His mom places him in a basket in the Nile River in a story that we're all pretty familiar with. But, but now the story really fast forwards quickly. Exodus uh, takes us to see Moses as a 40-year-old man who had grown up for probably 35 years of his life in the house of the Pharaoh. He went out to where his own people were, the Scripture says. The, who, who, who were those people be? They would be uh, the covenant people of God, the Hebrews, the Jewish people. He went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Why? Because they were in captivity. They were slaves to the Egyptians. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. So he sees violence, anger really lived out. Now, look at verse 12. This is very important. It says, looking this way and that way. Uh, 
Moses looks to the left and to the right. Why does he look to the left and to the right as he's right here in the midst of this uh, argument and fight? Because he wants to see if anybody's watching him. You know, that's what we do. I was uh, just talking to my daughter-in-law this morning. She says that our granddaughter has been involved in some behavior. She's just one that she shouldn't be doing. And I, I don't believe it. I mean, I don't, don't, don't believe that. But she says before she does what she does, she looks to the left and right to see if anybody's watching. If you're ever looking out the window, if you're raising kids, you're ever looking out the window and you see your kids looking to the left or right, you better watch closely because something bad is about to go down. And so Moses looks to the left or the right because he's going to really wants to hide what he's doing. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, Here it is. He killed the Egyptian. Takes matters into his own hands. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So Moses has the right emotion. It's anger over oppression, but he goes way too far in unrighteous anger. We see it there. The next day he went out, he meaning Moses, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And that's what kind of reminds me of the day, the day that we're in today. Two straight days. And what what does Moses find? Two fights. It's kind of like the culture we're living in today. So it's almost like we needed to hear this. He goes out and he sees two Hebrews fighting. He asks the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Verse 14, the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Right? This is actually a great question. (laughs) Because sometimes we're so familiar with this story that we sort of miss something because we know we've either read the story of Exodus or we... We, we might watch the movie, and so we know, yeah, Moses is the one who's going to lead the children of Israel out, and God's called him to lead the children of Israel out, but we have to understand where we are in the story in chapter 2. God hasn't done that yet. It's not until chapter 3 we're going to see the burning bush and God really give Moses his assignment. He hasn't, he hasn't gotten the assignment, and Moses has taken matters into his own hands. Moses is playing God, and he gets called out on that. Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? The man says, uh-oh. Right now, now Moses realizes what? It's been found out. Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Uh, Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. So now we're going to see Moses head out to the wilderness, out to the desert. And we're seeing this as, as part of a consequence of his anger where he sat down by a well now, I want to stop for just a second because here's, we're going to see another story take place, and we're going to see the same type thing happen in Moses, but then there's also something else. Now, how many call, ladies, how many, you got some single ladies over here, show of hand for single ladies. Single ladies in the, we have any single ladies here? Just a show of hands. I got a text, I asked folks to do this in the last service, Ask, I got a text from one of my buddies who's single, he said, next time you do that, could you have me sit in the, in the back so I could kind of look around to see all the single ladies that raised their hand up. He was, he was serious, he wasn't kidding. So anyways... You're going to see something in the Scripture that's going to show you what to look for in Amanda Mary, right? You want to find what to look for in Amanda Mary? You're going to find it right here in, the, in this story. And guys, you're going to see what a godly man looks like, all right? Here we go. So now Moses uh, uh, flees, and he says he goes to Midian. He sat down by a well into verse 15. Look at verse 16. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs of their water, the, the water of their father's flock, according to verse 16. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. So here you have Moses sitting just in the shade beside this well here, and he's kind of looking over what's happened in his life. His life has just changed. Now he's left Pharaoh's court, and he's on the backside of nowhere. Some young ladies come to get water for their flocks, and then right in the midst of that, some knucklehead dudes come down and just push the ladies out of the way, have no regard for these women, and they're just ruthless bad guys, right? So they push them away. And, and, and it says this, but Moses got up 
and came to their rescue and watered their flock. So that's what I would put in my margin if I was, and I'm not a single lady, but if I was a single lady, I'd say, you're looking for a guy in marriage that'll water your flock. That's what you need to look for. You're looking for a servant, like a tough servant. And that's what Moses was. He was tough. Now let's think about this. We're going to be spending time with Moses between now and Christmas, right? We ought to get to know this guy. We've learned something about Moses. Moses was he was a tough dude. He's a tough hombre, right? I mean, with the Egyptian, here's an Egyptian taking uh, uh, advantage of a Hebrew, and Moses just, he just kills a guy with his bare hands, right? I'm not saying that was wrong. I'm just saying, this guy's tough. And then he, he, he's sitting beside the well in Midian. Here's some young girls who come, and, and they're being taken advantage of, and Moses walks right into danger with some shepherds or who these knuckleheads, they, they made a living driving off wild animals uh, from their flock. So, and there were multiple guys, not just one. Moses walks right in there and just cleans house. I mean, those guys, don't, they don't mess with him. So this guy, this guy's a stud, right? I mean, this is a seriously tough, tough dude. So Watch this. When the girls returned to Ruel, or Ruel, who is Jethro, their father, uh, they asked him, "Why have you returned?" He asked them, "Why have you returned so early?" Uh, some shepherd came along. They answered, "An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock." And where is he? Like, here's what I told you. Remember when I told you what you ought to be looking for in, 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 a, in a guy to marry somebody who will water your flock? This is exactly what Jethro says. He says, "Go get that boy." Right. This is somebody that you want to keep pretty close to you. And where is he? Uh, he asked his daughters, why did you leave him there? Invite him to have something to eat. In other words, go get him and let's bring him back to dinner. Verse 21, Moses agrees to stay with the man who gave him his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Now there's a lot that we could talk about in this passage, but we're going to look at this million-dollar emotion called anger. And we're going to see it in the life of Moses, and I think there's some super practical takeaways in our life today. Now, here's the first thing I would say. Anger, anger really has, has two faces. So we're going to see righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Here's the first thing. Righteous anger is a catalyst for change. Righteous anger is a catalyst for change. Now, whether that be Susan B. Anthony, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., it was righteous anger that brought about change and was used in their life in a powerful way. We see that in Moses' life. He has righteous anger. He's upset when an Egyptian is oppressing a Hebrew slave. He's upset when these ruthless men are taking advantage of these women. He has righteous anger, and righteous anger is a catalyst for change. Rick, I can say this to you. That's why you got into politics years ago because of just a righteous anger and sanctity of life issues. And so I appreciate your, your, your stand on that. But I, you see people, see people doing that. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Listen to this passage. This is a great passage. This tells us, this tells us a part of what we ought to do as a follower of Jesus Christ that we don't talk about near enough. But watch this. Isaiah says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. Do you understand that's part of your calling as a follower of Jesus Christ to defend the oppressed? Let me ask that question again. Do you understand that's part of your calling and my calling to defend the oppressed? And that's what Moses is doing. He is defending the oppressed and, and with the, the Egyptian taskmaster, with the, with the men who are treating these ladies evil. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. 
You see, here's the thing about righteous anger. It's a catalyst for change. Righteous anger, watch this. This is really important. Righteous anger is different, though. It is surgical anger. It is focused on protecting the oppressed. Like when Jesus, when he drives out the money changers in the temple, it's surgical. It's focusing on the oppressed. You see, who was oppressed in that situation? There were people who were being taken advantage of when they were just coming to try to worship in the temple. And so it's focused on protecting the oppressed and exposing sin. That's what righteous anger is is focused on. Exposing or, or protecting the oppressed and exposing sin. Now, here's a problem with that. Watch this. We certainly see it in the, in the day that we live in today, certainly with social, social media. We, we have many people who will expose sin, but they also just expose or try to obliterate the sinner. You know, the Bible is very clear. If I see sin in your life or you see sin in my life, then we are to go directly to that person, Matthew chapter 18. And we're supposed to call that sin, a sin out in them, but we do that privately, right? Because we want to see this person reconciled to God. But so much of what we see today, and I hear people hiding behind this righteous anger, is really not exactly what righteous anger is supposed to do. It's really people try to humiliate or embarrass or hurt other people instead of loving them enough and calling that sin out. Now, listen to this quote. Dr. David Siemens, I've used this quote before. It's really good. Anger is a divinely implanted emotion. Anger is not a bad thing necessarily. It's a divinely implanted emotion closely aligned to our instinct for right. It is designed, anger is designed to be used for constructive spiritual purposes. The person who cannot feel, listen to this, the person who cannot feel anger at evil is a person who lacks enthusiasm for good. If you cannot hate what is wrong, it is very questionable whether or not you can love righteousness. Well, that's a really great statement. Think about this, 18 times in the Old Testament, not once or twice, but 18 times in the Old Testament talks about the anger of God. So here's a question today that's very important. What present evil are you currently angry about? That's a really important question to wrestle with. What present evil are you currently angry about? You know, as I think about our church, and you guys know, we we would love to see our church look like our community and and uh, yesterday, Amy and I were out at a little soccer field watching our grandson, but there were also folks from our church there and several families of color, which just is a beautiful thing, an amazing thing, and their children were there. And you know what? To see a child of color in our community being treated differently than another child is infuriating. Would you agree with me on that? That's a cause of anger. Here's another thing that bothers me. For men and women, I hear this all the time as, as it relates to pornography. Well, you know what? It's just, it's just an issue that doesn't affect anybody else. It's just something I do. It doesn't affect anybody else. Can I tell you something? Every time you click on a link, you are fueling sex trafficking in the sex trade industry. I promise you it's true. I held my granddaughter this week. This last week was a big week. She actually gave me a kiss. I've been asking for her to do that for about three months. She she finally gave me a kiss. It was amazing. Do you understand this? Every time that you click on a link, that is fueling the spread of the greatest, I believe, atrocity in our generation. It is seeing children in our state and around the country ripped from their family and used in the most degrading, immoral, vile ways imaginable. 
Does that bother you? It should bother us deeply. So the question is, what are you angry about? Now, here's another thing. If you answer that question or if you can begin to get that question answered, if you, you, you can find your holy discontent because here's what I hear, not just from college students, for, from people of all ages. I want to know God's will for my life. Don't you want to know God's will for your life? Don't you want to know God's mission for your life? Would you agree with me here today? Yeah. You know, part of understanding and realizing God's will for your life is finding your holy discontent. That thing that, listen, that thing that angers you, that evil that angers you the most could be what God's calling, uh, God's calling on your life, what he's calling you to do something about. You know, many of you know uh, Scott Horde, who used to be on our staff and Scott, just texting with him this weekend. Scott is, Scott is in, in the fight for the unborn every single day in Nashville and just meeting with young ladies and, and their boyfriends and their husband, and he is fighting desperately to be the voice of the unborn, and God is using him in, in powerful ways. And I can just remember so many conversations with him and just, just being so touched by that and so angry that that was still taking place in our culture, and that was his holy discontent. That's his ministry. That's what God is calling him to do. And so I, I think we have to find that ourselves. Let's look at the second thing. This is super important. Unrighteous anger is a cause for destruction. If righteous anger is a catalyst for change, unrighteous anger is a cause for destruction. Moses, I mean, he had the right feeling when he saw the oppression the, the Egyptian was placing on the Hebrew, but he takes it way too far. He steps outside of God's, God's bounds for that and makes a mess of things. Now, let's look at a couple things. I want to move through this rather quickly. Let's talk about unrighteous anger. The first thing we need to look at is the cost of unrighteous anger because unrighteous anger always has a heavy price tag, and most of the time we haven't thought about that. I hear folks say this. They'll just say, you know what, I just blow up and I feel better and I kind of get over it. But you know what, when you blow up with unrighteous anger, you might feel better, but everybody around you feels worse. In some ways, that's kind of what a shotgun does, right? A shotgun just blows up and it's over it, but it leaves a huge hole in the wall. Do you see that? Our unrighteous anger we talk about here is is us leaving a a real high wake. I got a 17 and a half foot aluminum boat. I love my boat. But some of you have like 21, 21, 22 foot boats and I see you out at the lake and you throw a big wake and you about sunk me multiple times over the course of this summer. You're responsible for your own wake. But see, we throw big wakes in our life. That's unrighteous anger. It affects a lot of people. And so the real, the, the real question is this, how much is my anger costing me? Let's be honest about something. Moses, if you study the life of Moses, Moses has an ongoing battle with anger throughout his life. In fact, the story we look at today, it cost him 40 years in Midian because of his anger. Moses actually, we're going to see, Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land even though he leads the children of Israel. For 40-some-odd years, he does not, he's not able to enter into the promised land because of an unrighteous outburst toward the end of his life. You see, it, it, it exacts a heavy cost on Moses. But how much is unrighteous anger costing you? It'll cost you in your marriage. It will cost you friendships. It will cost you relationships in your family. I think back over my life, my unrighteous anger has cost me so, so much relationally. It can cost you jobs. You see, I would say this. I think unrighteous anger might be life's most expensive emotion. Let me say that to you again. I'm not so sure that unrighteous anger might not be life's most expensive emotion. Proverbs 12, 18. Look at this. The word of the reckless pierced like swords. Man, that's been me. 
But the tongue of the wise brings healing. I want the rest of my life to be that way. The tongue of a wise brings healing. You ever said something you wish you could take back? Yeah, me too. Yeah, like 15 minutes ago, right? Here's the thing. Here's a question. I think it's so important. And we like to ask a lot of questions here because we believe life change happens in group. And sometimes we'll ask questions. And these are great questions to wrestle with inside a small group and great questions to wrestle with with your spouse uh, just or with a, a trusted friend. What is unrighteous anger costing you? It's a great question to think about. What is my unrighteous anger? What is it costing me in my life? Now, let's look at the second thing. And boy, this is, this is really important. If any of you here are like me, and I'm sorry you have to listen to this message because it's something that God's doing in my life. I need to hear this more than anybody else in this room. You, you just have to go along with us on this journey today. But this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. What is the cause of unrighteous anger? Because I hear people say, I just have anger issues. Listen, it's more than that. You don't just have anger issues. There's always something driving your anger. And if you don't understand the cause, you don't understand what's under the waterline, listen, then we aren't able to confess that correctly, agree with God, and experience his transformation. So look at this, James chapter 4, verse 1. This is a great passage. It answers the question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? James is asking, hey, what causes anger? What, what causes people to get so sideways? What causes people to, to fight? What causes fights inside of marriage or inside of friendships or roommates, on and on? What, what causes that? And then he answers that. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James says, here's what causes the problems. You're loving the wrong things. There are things, Brady, inside your heart that you love, wrong things that you love, or even the right things that you love the wrong way. I've seen that in my life. I have made idols out of my boys, and I have loved my boys the wrong way. And so if anybody messed with my boys in any way, shape, fashion, or form, it just it drove me crazy. So it wasn't that I had anger issues. I just loved the wrong things. I have loved in my life, listen, I have loved comfort more than I've loved sacrifice for the kingdom. I, I use this example all the time. I, I turn out of our parking lot, and, and I head north on Thompson Lane every day to head home. Thompson Lane has two lanes as it gets to the, the red light there at Broad Street. Do you understand that? Any of you new to Murfreesboro over here? Any of you new to Murfreesboro? Can I get you? Yeah. Let me teach you something about Murfreesboro. It's going to be really important that you need to know. This will save you a lot of trouble, right? I want to go ahead and educate you on the front, front side. All right, good, good. As you head out of here, there's two lanes, and you get to the red light. Everybody, the longest line at the red light here at Broad Street is going to be on the left-hand side right? And so everybody wants to get into the right lane. You know why they're going to get in the right lane? The right lane ends every single time, right? Every single time. It ends right there by the Dollar General, and uh, it just stops up. It makes my compute to get home from seven minutes to about eight and a half. <laughs> Killer. I mean, it tortures me. And, and I see all those people shoot by me, and I've just started doing it too. I've just kind of thrown myself in with the rest of the sinners. In fact, somebody, somebody from the church... Uh, Caven Johnson from, and, and Maria, they rolled their window down a couple weeks ago. I was in the right lane. They just rolled their window down and started shaking their head at me like, you did it. Yeah. You know what? So, so, so here's the thing. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Somebody does something. We get, get so angry and there's an outburst. And we might say, well, you got anger issues. No, you have comfort issues. See, somebody is just, somebody's just messed with your comfort. Somebody's just messed with your convenience. Control issues, right? This is what Moses had. Moses had control issues. We want to control people, circumstances, and situations. When something gets out of control, we get angry. St. Augustine, one of the great church fathers, said this, the root of our sinfulness is disordered loves. So what is the cause of anger? That's what we have to get to. We have to get to what's causing this. Because if what we love is messed up, then our anger as a response will be messed up as well. So here's a great question. What angers you the most in your life? 
What is it that upsets you really the most in your life? You know, for me in the past, it's been my reputation. When somebody has said something about me, I have fought to kind of regain my reputation because I want to be in control of my reputation. Anybody else like that? Nobody's going to nod. Right? Yeah. I, my issue is not anger. My issue is, is control. I want to control my reputation. Relationships. Amy and I, we, we've talked about this. I want to control her. I want her to behave the way that I want her to behave, and she wants me to behave. Somebody, that was, you laughed too loud there. That was awkward, right? I'm a guy. We don't get it. It takes us longer. She wants to control. She wants to control, control me. And, and, and so we do that, and when a person isn't responding the way we want them to respond, we, we get, get angry, Right? You know, in business, we do that. I, I was, this is a true story, Thursday night. I hate it when I say that, like this is a true story, meaning everything I said before wasn't a true. No, I was Thursday night, though. I'm coming out here Thursday night to start the sermon, same sermon that you guys are hearing on Thursday night. And I, the first thing I'm thinking is like my first line, right? I'm walking out. I got my first line in my mind. I'm just like ready to go with that line. And we're talking about anger in our culture. And I, I knew I was going to say something. And John back there was going to start firing pictures on the screen, the same pictures that you saw. And I was waiting for him to fire those pictures. And I kept saying the same kind of keyword so he would fire those pictures. The pictures never came. I'm preaching on anger, yet I'm getting angry at John because he didn't fire the pictures. I'm like, where are the pictures? Man, let's go. So I said it again. There's anger in the streets of Minneapolis. John, there's angers in the streets of Minneapolis. Let's go. Nothing. Turns out he was talking to Robert back there in the back. Totally forgot. He said, oh, Pastor, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. I said, yeah. He doesn't work here any longer. But anyways, it was a good run. We, had it. We, had it. we really enjoyed him. He was great. No, he's still back there today. He's a great guy. But what is that? Right? Here's what I'm trying to say. What is that? Well, see, in many ways, it's just control issues, trying to be in control of everything. Here's how messed up I am. You know the little COVID signs when you come in? You saw the little COVID signs? I jumped on somebody Thursday in our facilities, our great facilities, folks. I jumped on, I said, the COVID signs aren't straight. Could somebody get out there and straighten the COVID signs up for crying out loud? Let's get these, and they're like, seriously? Yeah, seriously. That's why this pandemic is spreading. We got crooked COVID signs. We got people about to show up. Let's get the COVID signs straight. Like, man, dude, you got anger issues. No, I have control issues. I have control issues. I want to control people. I want to control my reputation. I want to control everything around me. Because control is a source God for me. It's a false God for me. But you say, well, what's the point? That was Moses' problem. Look at this. The cause of Moses' anger really stems from his desire to be God instead of trust God. Do you see it? I mean, the cause of Moses' anger stems from his desire to be God. You say, what do you mean? He killed a dude. He was never intended to do that. That was God's role, not his. You see, and control issues, some of you are like, man, Pastor Brady, I'm glad that you're teaching on this because my husband is here today. He needs to hear this. I'm glad that you're talking about control leading to, to anger, right? But listen, here's the thing. Control issues reveal themselves in two ways. Number one is anger. You know what the second one is? Anxiety, right? I just heard the, mm. right? If we're constantly anxious, we say, well, I just have, I have anxiety issues. I hear people say that so much. I just have anxiety issues. I need some help with my anxiety issues. No, 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 no. You need to understand that's a control issue. That's you trying to control circumstances and situations and not trusting God with those circumstances and situations, right? I understand it's much more complicated with that than that, but listen, I think that's the start, understanding where these things are, are coming from. And listen, when people, when people, think about this, when people don't respond the way we want them to respond, we're trying to control them, then we sort of spiral into greater levels of, of anger. There'll be a police officer out in the foyer on your way out, and if you go up and ask her or, or him, 
What is the number one call that you go on? You know what the number one call that every police officer in our city and around the country uh, goes on? Domestic, right? A domestic call. Because many times, here's a guy, he's wanting to control her. She doesn't respond the way he wants her to respond. And he gets angry in an attempt to do that. Then he raises his voice and even maybe gets physical to continue to try to control that situation. We might say, we need to get some help for this guy because this guy has anger issues. And so we need to help him manage his anger. That may be true, but what's underneath that is here's a guy who has control issues. He's trying to be God instead of trusting God, and the gospel has a lot to say here about this. Now, so here's a question, and then we'll close up. Where are you trying in your life right now, whether it's your children, your marriage, your school, your career, where are you trying to be God instead of trusting God? It's a great question. Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you show me that? Where is an area of my life that I'm trying to be God instead of trusting you as God? That was Moses' issue. Now, let's look at the cure, and then we'll be done today. What have we talked about? We've talked about that righteous anger can be a catalyst for change. We've said that unrighteous anger has a heavy cost. We saw that in Moses' life, 40 years in the wilderness, not being able to go in the promised land. Would you think that's a heavy cost? (laughs) I would agree with it, right? So it's a cost. And we've seen the cause. Many times it's a source idol. It's something underneath that like comfort, like control, like approval or power that's really the issue there, right? But here's the cure. This is not everything we could say about it, but it'll certainly help you. And some of it is just a way of of summarizing what we've said. What is the cure for unrighteous anger? Confess the source and don't confuse the source. Let me say that to you again. Confusing statement. Confess the source Right? What would it be like for you to say, you know what, God, I, I'm not, I, I don't have anger issues, I have control issues. And I'm going to confess that there's something amazing in our spiritual life when we are honest before the Lord, then his supernatural power begins to take place in our life and begins to transform us when we call it what it is. And that's what will happen, to confess the source. And then don't confuse the source. What do I mean by that? Super important. Listen, would you give me 15 seconds on this? One of the reasons why we get so upset and so angry and why anger spirals is because all these things, we might have a relationship with our spouse or our boyfriend or girlfriend. We see them as the source of our happiness. We might see that with our children, that we see them as the source of our happiness, our contentment, or in our career, we we see our career as the source. Do you get my point? Let me tell you, all those things, none of those things are bad, but listen to what I'm about to say. They were never intended to be the source. Don't confuse them as the source. There's only one source, and he is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He is the source, and when you understand him as the source, listen, it diffuses some of the anger when those other things don't go your way. Does that make some sense to you? That has helped me in my life so much. Confess the source, but don't confuse the source. Number two, similar thing. You want the cure? Trust God and quit trying to be God. Trust God and quit trying to be God. Look at Ephesians 4.26. This verse, I think, sometimes can be taken out of context. Listen to what Paul says. "In, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Most of the time we read that, we think about that just in marriage. We say, you know what, I don't need to go to sleep until we reconcile this problem. And you end up just really tired, to be honest, right? Like super tired and uh, usually more angry. But anyways, really what this passage I think is talking about is not letting the sun go down on your wrath means I don't have to carry to bed the burden of trying to right every wrong in my life. I don't have to fix everything, control everything, straighten every sign in the parking lot, 
make sure every picture fires when it's... I don't have to fix everything. I don't have to control everything. I can go to bed at, at night because guess who's on the throne? God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. And I do things pitifully. He does things perfectly. Do you see that? Like, isn't that true when we try to enact judgment on somebody? When we try to make somebody pay, anybody want to think about that? You ever tried to make somebody pay in your life? I have. We do that pitifully, don't we? If we wait, God does it perfectly. So I can go to bed at night letting God be God. Last thing I would say about this cure, and again, there's way more to say uh, about this. Deserts, because that's where Moses went, right? When, when he left Pharaoh's court after he kills the Egyptian, he's, he's hiding out in the desert. Deserts can be a launching pad and not a dead end. I want you to understand this. Deserts can be a launching pad and not a dead end. Um, I'm glad you guys are here today. I know you were supposed to be at MTSU for your first worship service, and I, I know that's disappointing for you, but I, I, I'll, just, I'll just take a flyer here. I, I just, this is just a guess, a random guess among all of you college students. It's great to see you. My guess is maybe some of you, this, isn't, this isn't, uh, wasn't your dream school. You know, nobody's going to say that, but you know what? You maybe had dreams of being somewhere else. Maybe it's even during this time. It's like, well, you were going to go somewhere else, but it just didn't work out to be that far away from home during the midst of this. And, and here it is, this most important time in your life, your, your college career, and you're not really where you thought you were going to be. And we're prone to think this is a desert. We're prone to think that this is an interruption in our life. And it's not just college students. It's all of us. Things happen in our life. And we think, you know what, this is a desert. This is an interruption to my plan. In other words, sometimes we're so angry. Watch this. This is what fuels angry, anger because we feel like somebody has done something to us that has really caused us to go to the desert, right? When he walked away from our family, he sent us to the desert. When my boss got rid of me, he sent me to the desert. When this person turned their back on me and said this about me, it sent me to the desert. And we get so angry because we see deserts as interruptions to our plan. And it just fuels that anger. And that's why, listen, 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 please. I know I've talked for a long time. That's why so many people die in bitterness. Because they just believe somebody has taken something from me and sent me to the desert, right? Can I tell you something? Here's the truth. What you might thought was an interruption and it's fueled anger, God in his sovereignty is using it to speed up his plan for your life. That's certainly what happens in Moses' life. God sends Moses to the desert. He does his greatest work in Moses' life in the desert. This isn't an interruption. This is part of a sovereign plan by our sovereign creator. And you know what? I don't know about you, but that has helped me so much because I'm prone. I always want to blame somebody. Are you like that? Nobody wants to answer. I want to find somebody to blame because I really think you've done something to me that it's going to cost me a long time instead of understanding the sovereignty of my God. It's probably speeding up his plan. Can I tell you something just about you as it relates to me? I've said this before. You can't hurt me in a way that God can't heal me. Do you believe that? Nobody has the power to do that in your life. Do you believe it? And so we've stayed in so much bitterness. We're blaming somebody for something. And listen, God is using it to redeem you, so we just have to look at it a different way. Let me close with this one thing, one statement. I hope it summarizes what we've talked about today. Anytime in your life, listen, anytime, not most of the time, anytime we play the wrong role in the story, the story always ends tragically. 
Can I just say that to you one more time and I'll be done? Anytime you play the wrong role in the story, the story always ends tragically. Anytime you try to play God in your kid's life, the story will end tragically. Anytime you try to play God in your marriage, the story ends tragically. Anytime you try to play God in your career, it ends tragically. Anytime you try to play God in a relationship, in your, anytime we play the wrong role in the story, the story will always end tragically. The greatest tragedy is that's the story of some people's entire life. And that may be somebody here today. Listen. For your entire life, you have been playing the wrong role in the story. In so many ways, you've been trying to manage, manipulate, and control your life. You've been playing God. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe today, God is speaking into your heart and saying, listen, let me be who I am. Trust me. I'm way better at it than you. And the story could end so differently if you would trust him. For somebody today, that just simply means surrendering. Jesus, I've been playing your role. I've been playing your role. And I trust you with all that I am. Even as believers, some of you have been playing the wrong role in so many different areas of your life. Thank you for this moment in time. Father, could you pray with me? Thank you for this moment in time. The story doesn't have to end this way. Show us some things now in this moment through your Holy Spirit. Show us what our holy discontent perhaps is, that you want to use that fuel to propel our mission. Show us the cost of our unrighteous anger. Show us the cure. But before that, could you reveal the cause? Show us what's driving it and grant us the grace to repent of that. God, help us find our exit so we aren't sentenced to a life of bitterness. In Jesus' name, amen.